0: If you're interested in learning how I launched Zim Excellence, then you're in luck. Sign up for my podcast workshop and learn how it's easier and more affordable than ever to start a podcast. Also, grab yourself a copy of my podcast resource guide, which covers industry terminology, suggested tech setup, in addition to countless free online resources to support your podcast journey. Just head to wangaicom forward slash podcast creation. That's wangaicom forward slash podcast creation. The link will also be down in the show notes. Now, let's start the show. Yo! Welcome to the party! Hello! Makarini salibonani! My name is Wongai and you're listening to Zim Excellence, a weekly celebration of Zimbabwe's changemakers and trailblazers. So here's the secret, y'all. Zimbabweans are actually dope AF and it's just time that we recognize it. So grab yourself a plate of sadza and grab that stony ginger beer and let the party begin. Welcome to another episode of Zim Excellence. Today, my guest is a writer, solo actor, and teaching artist based in Los Angeles. He is a 2019 graduate of the University of Southern California's MFA Dramatic Writing Program. His work as a writer includes Family Riots, Master's Shoe, and his solo show Mbare Dreams, amongst others. He has taught writing in the US, UK, South Africa, Zimbabwe, and many others. His work in theater has also included stints as a programs director and a literary manager. He also works as a consultant and researcher for TV shows in development, Y'all, he is he's hella booked and busy. And his overall artistic goal is to create works of art that will reclaim and reframe the African narrative on the world stage. That sounds familiar. Please welcome (laughs) Gideon Jeff Wabuta.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. I really have.
0: I've been so looking forward to this and this is like the last week of Mercury Retrograde and we just had so <laughs> many little tech issues happen where it's like yep. Magueta and then the yeah. microphones <laughs> like one person couldn't hear the other. So today we're recording this episode on Zoom as our backup plan mm-hmm. and so let's just see how it goes. Okay, so yep. before we get into it, it's important that the people know. So we obviously have two amazing things in common. So you have this artistic goal that is to reclaim and reframe the African narrative and putting the African dramatic voice on the world map, which is what I'm mm-hmm. all about. I'm, this is why I'm mm-hmm. like so mm-hmm. excited to have this conversation with you. And the second thing is, Takapesana so you and I we crossed paths I know in America <laughs> like Gideon and I yes. have so many mutual friends it is not funny and it was like we were in New York at the same time and one time he like he was also living in LA and I visited LA twice so it's like why
1: yeah but I know We finally
0: met virtually
1: we did it I'm happy we did
0: <laughs> yes. And so the first question I always ask is for you to kind of share a little bit about your origin story. So you were born in Zimbabwe and you yes. are currently in Zimbabwe right now, actually, but you're yes, also based yes, in
1: currently-
0: Los Angeles. You're you're a bit, um, yes. uh, well, not transatlantic, I'd say trans-Indian Ocean. <laughs> Yeah. currently <laughs> but yeah I'd, I'd love for you to kind yeah. of share like how we got from mm-hmm. point a to point b and also if yeah. it could involve like you know how you fell in love with the arts
1: <laughs> yeah I, I i always say to people that i i did not uh i had no plan of being in the arts i was i was born and raised in uh in Barre in a very christian family and uh, I don't know why I say it's very Christian family. It's a Christian family. Um, and uh,
0: <laughs> I, I, I feel I, like all Zimbabwean families are very Christian families, though. So that's valid.
1: That is true. I, I I think I I never had this on my mind that I was going to be like deep in the arts. I was always legitimately interested in writing, and, mm. and because I used to read a lot. So when I was growing up, my, my dad was really good at cultivating like my need to read. I read so early, and I would read anything and everything that was around me. I remember I got to O-Level when I was doing my O-Levels, and I think we were studying an O-Level book. It was The Mayor of Bridge. I think it's a, it's a hardy book. Mm-hmm. And I started remembering that I had read that book right <laughs> And I remember that I literally had read that book when I was grade three. I was in third grade when I read that book. And it was because, like, around my house, one of my uncles had left a a lot of, like, English classics and all that. So there, I think, was kind of, like, the interest in the arts. But it was not something that I thought I would ever take seriously. I mean, when I was in primary school, obviously, we did go. You did have, like, you know, primary school dramas primary school plays and all that but you don't take it seriously it's one of those things you're just doing to pass the time but I knew I had that interest but at the back of my head I didn't think I could pull it off because there was at that time there was nothing or nobody to look up to to say, hey, uh, this—if I look up to this particular person, I mean, this is what I can aim for. This is the height of what I am doing or what I want to do. There was nothing at that point, and and also I think the kind of like the life that I was—I uh, mean, with my parents, uh, it was a little bit sheltered. So, mm-hmm. with regards to what I wanted, I think there were there was there were, there were always kind of like knowledge boundaries that existed. There were this blinders, but. Obviously, as you get older, you slowly start moving away. I remember I started going to high school. And when I went to high school, that allowed me to meet new people, you know, with different ideas, different thoughts. I went to an all-boys school. And that's, I would say that's, a, that's not a good thing for anybody. I, I agree with you. School.
0: I went to an all-girls school and I would never put my children through that. Sorry, mom and dad, but no, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I agree. It is terrible. I just think that it took me a while to adjust. Even when I left school, I didn't know how I was supposed to behave amongst women. Because when you're around just boys, when you think about women, and you're talking about women, it's from this perspective of like, this very distant people that we do not know, because you never had like you I spent 6 years in high school and I never sat next to a woman I never sat next to a girl just because I was in an old boys school and it it was a bit of an adjustment I and and this is a discovery I think I recently made I like my partner always used to say to me he's like dude you don't realize how like how I had to be patient with you for you to just adjust to actually know how to be able to talk to me. Mm. And, and it's something that I had to learn. And, and I think that was kind of like the same thing with the arts in the sense that I had no plans to be in the arts. And I remember I was going to go to, go study journalism after high school. And I stumbled upon um, a friend of mine who's a visual artist. I was like, hey, we're starting this whole thing. We're going sort to of performing outside. And it was sort of like a performing arts school. It was a weird place. I don't want to lie. It was a weird place. Because <laughs> it was it was a bunch of like super talented people. But then it eventually t- turned into, I don't know. I think the best way to phrase it is like it turned into a cult. Like that's, oh, no. that's the best thing that I yeah it turned strange like rules and laws and like dreams and weird stuff it was It was the weirdest thing ever, but the biggest thing that I can say that I got out of that was the love and the desire for the for the arts. yeah like I left that place and I really loved theater. I was obsessed with theater. I could not think about anything like you could not tell me to do anything outside of theater. That's literally what, what I wanted to do like i wanted to be an actor i wanted to be a writer and around that time my parents were like hey dude i know we've not been seeing eye to eye because of this whole thing but you need to get a college degree so my dad cleverly and wisely just said to me hey you just need to get a college degree i don't get, i don't care what the college degree is in and so i ended up going to the university of zimbabwe and studying theater mm. to the point that for the very first year I didn't even tell them that I was studying theater because I was scared. I was, I, it didn't make sense to me. that like, if I tell them they'll be fine with it, that their son is going to be an actor. And that always looked at the whole profession as just like, ah, eh, it's acting it's, you know, it's theater. Who cares about it? Do you think you can earn a living from that?
0: Yeah. Like it's and a luxury think... or entertainment. That's, that's something to touch on if we have time later on. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it it was, it was tough. And and one of the things also is because you know how um you were like, personally for me, one of the toughest things was I'm so used to naturally protecting myself. So sometimes I ask myself questions and I answer them without necessarily going to them and be like, Hey, so what do you think mm. to the point that, I remember I, uh, when I was, I was still at the University of Zimbabwe. So I started performing professionally whilst I was still a student, which was really good for me because I, I didn't have that kind of leg period where I'm out of school and now I'm starting to look for jobs. I always had something going. But the tough thing was, I think I just, I was struggling to balance between being in school and, being, and wanting to be a professional actor at that time. But I, I, I really was hell-bent on just doing it. And eventually my when I when my parents found out this, this is what I was doing, they were fine with it. They just said, hey, if you're going to do this, just make sure you're the best at it. Mm. Uh, my dad has a saying that, like, if you're going to be a lazy bum who sits at home doing nothing, then be the best lazy bum <laughs> and never work a single day in your life. You know? Yeah. So that became such a kind of like a driving force where I was like, hey, it's, I have an opportunity, right? And that opportunity is just to say, hey, you can actually do this and earn a living from it. Like, I'm not talking about, that's what I was trying to explain to a friend of mine. I was like, I'm not trying to talk about making millions of dollars, right? Mm -hmm. Um, No one is expecting you to make millions of dollars. We're just talking about earning a living and be able to live in this world with kindness with love and you know be able to do the work that you actually want to do and be satisfied Mm -hmm. and that's personally like what I'm going for i have repeatedly say to people I was like I'm scared of being rich because I think I don't yet have the character to be able to sustain that much money so I'm fine with gradually just building up and I think that's kind of like where how kind of I got into theater after the investment of Zimbabwe that's when I had the opportunity to to come to the US, which was such a strange thing because you know how like you have something at the back of your head and you just never think that it can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just not like I knew that you know this is what I wanted. I did not have a clear-cut path as to how I was going to be able to achieve my goal. But I remember like the first time I was asked, hey, I think you might be good enough. I think you're good enough. You should consider applying to grad school in the U.S. I remember just thinking, you know, I don't know if I want to do this because there was that doubt and that fear that started creeping in. But eventually when I was able to do that, uh, got into a couple of schools, of course, money, scholarships, all that mess. Yeah. Which... In now, in retrospect, I'm always like, thank God I did not get into any programs that gave me money because I think if I had been studying acting, I would have dropped out. I am mm. almost sure I would have dropped out at some point because it is such a, I, I, I think actors are some of the bravest people in the world. because. Well,
0: thank you so much. I, we are. <laughs> no, I, I, Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you have a message you want to share with the world or you think, ooh, it could be fun to have my own talk show like one guy, getting started is easier than ever. Here at Zim Excellence, We use Buzzsprout, which is hands down the easiest, most affordable, and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Start for free and list your show on directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping and teaching you to succeed. Just check out their YouTube videos. They are filled with tons of information. So join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Sign up today using the link in the show notes or go to wongai.com forward slash podcast creation and you'll get a $20 credit if you sign up for a paid plan. It also helps support the show. So go ahead, sign up for Buzzsprout and keep me posted on your new podcast. Now back to the show.
1: You definitely are because it is such an act of surrender, such an act of vulnerability to just give yourself over to a process. I just, whew. It is a lot for me. Like, I'm in the middle of I'm working on uh, uh, my solo show. So we're in for my solo show. And I am mad 360 times at rehearsal just because where the director is trying to take me, I'm like, this is too dark. So oh, wow. I have I've yeah. grown so much respect for the craft of, like, like actors and what you guys do. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, uh, to cut a long, long, long story short, So left the University of Zimbabwe, uh, went to try and be an actor, and then I was fortunate enough to go to the OI Playwrights Conference where people who were there were really great because they all were like, hey, we think you're good enough, you should apply to grad school for writing. So I applied to grad school for writing and ended up going to uh, USC, which was... An interesting three years. Uh, interesting, probably is an understatement, but it was it was a peg three years. And I think anybody who's been to grad school, I think, fully understand what it means. Like if you've been to acting school or writing school at some point in your life, you understand that it is a roller coaster. And and yeah, and. I mean, I was lucky enough, graduated in 2019 and eventually started working around in LA. I was fortunate that one of my mentors invited me to a show. So I got hired in a couple of shows uh, that were in development that I worked on. And then COVID happened,
0: mm-hmm. uh, right? As it when happened I was, to uh, us all. Com-
1: <laughs> yes. As you're it on a trajectory
0: and then you pause. Yep.
1: You know, um, and it was such a. It was such it was such a pause button because a lot changed a lot has changed in the past like year and a half to two years where I feel like I was going on a certain path where I was like, okay, this is what I need to do. Okay, I'm 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 in this writer's room for this show. Okay, cool. So this one is next coming up. Like I had a couple of things that I'd been fortunate enough to be, like shows that uh were network TV that were coming on, and which was great. About to actually begin production on one of those. And then uh, so when COVID happened, when like stories about COVID started coming up, nobody, we didn't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was like, you know, what, I'm going to go back to Zim and sort out my papers and then I'm going to come back uh, because I was still on my OPT, my second OPT. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to come back to, I'm going to go to Zim, uh, sort out everything. Oh no, I was on my application for my, for my OPT, but I was coming to Zim to sort uh, out my other papers and then come back to the U.S. That was the plan. I get to Zim and then the whole entire world just shuts down. Mm. and this is right before I had just started two jobs. There were other two jobs that I've been doing. One was being a literary manager for the theatre, and the other one I was working with the OI Players Conference, teaching the youth workshop. Right. So technically, there's are jobs where I was supposed to be there physically, and those people were great and gracious enough to say, "Hey, wherever you are, you can keep working." So I kept working and the goal was like, hey, I mean, everything is going to lift up and we're going to go back to normal and I'll be going back going back to the US. Mm -hmm. But as I stayed, one of the things that struck me was just how, like I started looking around me, looking at the industry here and how much and like what I could do like the amount of work I've done in the past like year and a half with like a bunch of local creators. I've done so much work. Like I literally was laughing at myself because yesterday I realized that I wrote like eight episodes of a TV show over the space of like three weeks. Just because oh, wow. like we had been, and it was, it was, it, it's just been such a um, like a creatively fulfilling process of being here because I feel like, for the first time in my life in a very long time I'm in charge of the process I am creating what I actually want which is like reclaiming and reframing the narratives to say hey like we're not all about guns and child soldiers and all that mess like thank we you do Gideon
0: thank you the story
1: <laughs> So that has been so much fun trying to kind of figure that out. And I'm excited for a bunch of things that are going to be coming out in the next like four or five months or so.
0: Oh, I'm so excited for you. Just to get our listeners up to speed, for anyone who's confused or unfamiliar, OPT stands for Optional Placement Training, and basically it gives you one year of work. For you, It allows you to work within, it's a work permit that allows you to work within the field that you studied in. So you always get your OPT after you finish your like degree or your course in the United States. So that's yeah. what Gideon was referring yeah. to. Again, I, I just want to say Gideon, welcome to, I, I don't know why Thank I'm you. saying welcome, because I, I probably joined the industry after you were in it, but like, we're so happy to have you in this industry. We're so happy that you're there representing us. We're I, I'm so happy that I have, I guess I could say comrade. I have um an mm-hmm. ally and a friend in this fight of redefining the Zimbabwean narrative and telling African stories and telling Zimbabwean stories and just showing that, you know, we are multifaceted people. So I just want to say thank you because like we are completely (laughs) tribe and I adore you. And I I just can't believe it took this whole pandemic for us to meet virtually. (laughs) (laughs) With all of that said, I'm interested to know what does being Zimbabwean mean to you? How would you personally define it? (laughs)
1: Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's, 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 um I think being Zimbabwean means a whole lot of things, especially nowadays. I think it means being able to understand the separation between what it means to be a person who was born in Zimbabwe or of Zimbabwean heritage mm-hmm. and defining your pride separate from all the mess that exists yeah Um, to say that we are not that mess yes we might be in that mess but that's not who we are we have stories to tell we have like I always try to explain to people that we laugh like we are not sad all the time like we don't wake up in the morning and be like, oh, our lives are hard. So let's all gather in the kitchen and be sad <laughs> about it. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um we are resilient and we keep fighting and we keep hoping and we keep moving. And 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 to me, that defines what it means to be Zimbabwean.
0: I'd say it's it's so interesting because Zimbabweans are really, really funny. And I think it's this yeah. thing about like I think the more struggle or pain you're in, you find ways through it, and that's where the jokes come from.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You, you've got to. If if you don't, if you take yourself too seriously at times, because I, I know, like especially like Zim, social media. There's always talk of I, you know, policing how people react to things and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like one of the toughest things is Zimbabwe has been in a funk for a very, very long time and people did take it seriously at some point, but you can take something seriously for so long until it digs at you and it eats you up in mm-hmm. this ability to be able to use humor to keep surviving and keep moving on. It has helped. It definitely has helped. I, I always talk to people about that. If, stand-up comedy in Zimbabwe thrived because Zimbabwe was terrible, like at some point. Yeah. And mm. yeah, we, we grow and we get better.
0: Yeah, definitely. I remember the first time I was in the OG drama bookshop, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> the, yep, the The yep. original drama bookshop in New York before, you know, it had to be sold and then we re- moved somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I was looking through I think Eclipse had just come out Uh or it was on Broadway and so I was like in drama bookshop looking through plays and then I see Eclipse by Nana Gurira and I was like oh awesome Mm -hmm. I'm gonna buy a copy and then next Uh to Eclipse that's when I'm seeing like the convert in continuum Uh Uh, yeah, familiar. Yeah. And I was like yeah. just in awe. Actually, no, familiar wasn't there because familiar I had to get online because I think at the time it uh-huh. hadn't uh-huh. been published. But I knew of familiar because it was off Broadway mm-hmm. around the same time that Eclipse yeah. was on Broadway. So I pick up In Continuum and the Convert, and I just go to one of the tables that they have in drama bookshop and I sat down at a chair. And just literally, Mm -hmm. I only had the money for one play and I was going to buy Eclipse. So I was like, well, let me read the other two. And I just kind of voraciously read the other two. (laughs) And I just remember feeling so inspired, encouraged, and just in awe because I think it was like, no, in both of them, I saw Shauna and I'd never seen Shauna Uh in a published play in the UK or in the United States, in the United States in this case. And I was just like, Mm -hmm. wait, what? we we can do this what yeah. I've never seen this this is so cool and as I'm yeah. reading the dialogue my I guess my multilingual brain is working so like the Shauna portion of my brain which I had not used in months switches on uh-huh. and I'm like take like I'm just like taken away by these characters and just like knowing what they sound like what the mm-hmm. situation yeah. is I think it was like in continuum which was a co-written with Nicole Salter funny enough, yes. love you yes. you've collaborated with <laughs> collaborated with both of you you're amazing anyway um in in the Anais portion i think there was a uh, two women who were complaining that mageta which means the electricity of yes. God. Yeah. and instantly when i read that i just like it took me back <laughs> to my upbringing in zimbabwe and all, and i was like oh wow i had this hunger of finding yeah other people. And I I felt that same way again, when I read your two plays that you kindly sent me. And I'm just like reading the Shauna, soaking in the Shauna, mm-hmm. hearing it in my head and just being like, mm-hmm. wow. um Before I actually... You know, make my point with what the question is. Sorry, I speak in <laughs> tangents. No, it's um, okay. That's okay. You you do this really great thing in your play descriptions, which I I just want to absolutely commend you for. I so I read the first one that I read was I think every Sunday it's called.
1: Oh, one more Sunday. One yeah.
0: more Sunday, yeah. and under yes. the descriptions before before you um described each of the characters and their roles ages and all of that stuff you said all the characters are black in full caps and I cackled yep. and I was like yes <laughs> you cannot butcher this he has said this in all caps there is no yeah. casting a non-black person for this role uh-uh sorry not gonna cut it <laughs>
1: Like, I learned the hard way trust me I learned the hard way um, and the
0: other thing yeah that you did that I just thought was so incredible you you mentioned in family riots you said there's some dialogue in Shauna but you won't be translating it because the audience is just gonna yeah. understand what it means based off of the context and I was like that yeah. yes amazing um I have a friend yeah who mm-hmm. is a playwright and she's Turkish and I was in her reading for a play um and she just it's it was actually at one of like one of the main off-Broadway places not gonna mention them on the podcast I can Uh tell you (laughs) off off the record she had some people come to the reading and they were giving her feedback of like well we didn't understand it because it took place during the Turkish coup and if we'd had more Mm -hmm. information and exposition da 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 and she was Mm -hmm. like but I'm not like she was just frustrated that she had to dumb it down. And at the same time, yeah. that was the same year that Roma came out on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And in Roma, I forget um, I forget the filmmaker's name. It's probably really obvious, yeah. but he doesn't dumb it down for the audience to say, yes. oh, this is what yeah. was happening in Mexico at the time. You just see the scene play out. And if you're interested enough, you will do the Google search and be like, oh, oh that's interesting he was reflecting this part of what was happening in mexico and this is what was happening with the upper class and this was happening with the oh this is interesting so i i just Mm -hmm. love and appreciated that you were like no i'm not gonna dumb it down and translate it for these people they're just gonna figure it out
1: yeah (laughs) yeah And, and, and that's the way you kind of learn i always feel like every every playwright who is coming outside of the u.s you kind of Find your footing as you go. You slowly get comfortable in in who you are, and because you realize that it's the space, the theater world in the U.S. I always feel like it's a space where people literally have to claim Mm -hmm. who you are, creative, who you are as a writer. And 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 I I don't like to. It wasn't. It was. It was one of the things where I I had so many incidences. I remember family riots we had to do it uh on campus at uh at, at usc mm-hmm. and i remember being asked if they could just cast anyone who wasn't black Mm-mm. um <laughs> and it was one of those things because they literally were saying that oh we don't have and that was true they didn't have any like they didn't have enough black actors on campus they, and that they speaks did not
0: have that any. speaks to their programs because they make it difficult for us exactly. to get in yeah
1: Exactly. That was the thing where I was I was unhappy. And what made it even more difficult was the fact that in my year, we had three people of color. Right. So there were two black people. And that meant that. And we are all like just we all write just plays that have only black people. So yeah. that meant they needed close to about 12 to 14 black actors. And I was like, you're telling me that you don't have 14 black actors, which we can put in the shows? to the point that they even had to go to the MFA's uh, actors and then to alumni undergrads, it was what, it, it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing that I learned out of it was just to, to just stand your ground and know that, hey, this is the story that I'm trying to tell. Like I, even like translating words, I was like, no, this is, I put these words in and these lines in for a specific purpose. I am going to let that story speak for itself. It's 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 a it's a world that has been built in a certain I always think that that theater world has been built in a certain way. It's a system that is built in a certain way that every person who is coming with something different. And I've seen it with all those young Black contemporary playwrights who are making it, like, who are breaking down doors. Mm -hmm. They've had to come with something completely different and something where they're redefining, you know, not, not necessarily theater, but they're redefining how to be able to tell stories and force their way in. And it's great. And that's what it should be. That's what it should
0: be. This is why it's important that we're there, that we're not only creating and having our own Black theaters and African theaters, but also mm-hmm. um, being in these other spaces that probably have more yeah. exposure. That way people know, oh, OK, there are these types of stories to be told. I, ju- I just want to point out to our listeners and fellow people in the arts that Gideon is there fighting for us and there are there are so many other Zimbabweans and Africans and black playwrights and writers who are there and you know who have I guess on the outside quote unquote made it but on the inside of things please know how difficult it is for them and that in the end, you know, it, it's tough. You're fighting with producers and directors and mm-hmm. sometimes compromises are made that they didn't want, but it's, it's, it's choosing between is the work ever going to be seen or do I just like yeah. wait until the right time to show it the way that I want it? It's really tough. I don't think there is a black and white answer to that. And so with that said, how does it feel to be a representative of Zimbabwe? Having this like, un, I guess, unconscious pressure where people are like, he's made it, pinda, he's waving the flag. And suddenly you mm-hmm. speak for all of us when really you just wanted to be Gideon who's telling stories about Mbare and Zimbabwe and his upbringing. Yeah. But suddenly you mm-hmm. are the voice of all of us. <laughs>
1: I think that the biggest thing that I realized is I, I've i never, I guess, viewed myself as a representative, but then I also do understand that it's not about how you view yourself, but it's sometimes what people see you doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that the thing that has always maintained a certain level of perspective for me has been, I have such high expectations for myself that the one of the things that scare me is whenever people say that i've made it like yeah <laughs> it's such a tough thing for me to accept because i feel like i'm on the path
0: mm-hmm. like
1: i feel, if there's one thing that i understand that gives me calm that makes me realize that, you know what, I know exactly what's supposed to happen and where I'm going, is that I am on a path. There's a path that I've set out and there are specific goals and specific aspects about my life that I, I mean, specific benchmarks that I need to hit, that I think that, okay, cool, I am getting there. And as long as I'm achieving my goal, which is being able to tell these African stories that are different, that can change people's perceptions. And you know, for me, I feel like slowly, but surely I'm getting closer and closer to my goal. And the biggest thing I, I, I do want to say is COVID happened. So when COVID happened, it gave me a different perspective. I don't mm-hmm. want to lie. Like I changed the way I was thinking because um, when uh, me and my partner found out we, we were having, uh, we were having a baby it was one of those things where I was like okay cool now that's a sort of like I mean not necessarily like an added pressure thing but I knew that okay since we are in zim it means that the way we have to navigate has to shift because we had both come from the US she was she was working in Texas and I was in LA and I was like hey I'm going to go to Zim and then figure out my stuff and then I'll come back. Do you want to come with me or you want to stick around? She's like, nah, let's just go. And then when we come back, we will both three together. Um, so being here and then realizing the kind of like freedom to create that I have, it has kind of made me understand that, oh, my goal is not just to tell stories, but to also share skills mm. with the guys and the young people that are around you. Like right now, currently I'm working with this, uh, with these young boys, they have this company called our uh, college central. They produced uh, a web series yesterday, uh, last year that was called, I think it was last year, or last year, but when I was called what you were, and it was such, it was a hit series locally. People loved it. People were obsessed with it. And I got connected to them via somebody and that person was like, Hey, do you guys want to help? Do you want to help them out? Craft their season two and whatnot. And we spent the past like six, seven months working on that, writing the script, outlining everything. And uh, we've been in pre-production for the past month and a half now. And that has given me a new frame of focus Mm -hmm. Which is there's a level of actual impact that I can make on the ground, which is share skills, show people that there is a reason why all these shows that we watch on this very, like on this network TV and Netflix and all that, there's a reason why they're good because there is a process that they take. And now being able to introduce that process that I learned when I was working in writer's rooms and all that to this, like to this young boys and how much they're just taking it in. It's just redefined kind of like what I think I need to do. And it's been really, really good.
0: I'm going to thank you. If no one has thanked you, I want to thank you. Thanking you here and now. Um, (laughs)
1: Um, Oh, thank you. No, it's, 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 it's fun. I enjoy this.
0: So with now being a dad... Before I forget, happy early Father's Day! Because as we're recording <laughs> oh, this, you. I believe Father's Day is this weekend.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, you
0: yeah. have gone further than your ancestors ever did,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I and mm-hmm. it's and it's so interesting the way you bring in the themes of Western Christianity kind of colliding mm-hmm. and conflicting with Indigenous practices. Mm-hmm. But you've gone further yeah. than your ancestors ever did, and now you. Mm-hmm. have your son who's also looking at you as representation how how does that feel kind of being in the beginning of saying okay this is where I've come from and you know these mm-hmm. are the stories I have to share and to give and also knowing that you're helping lay the foundation for the next generation and, and like you said giving back to these groups of boys yeah. and these groups of people who are also mm-hmm. learning from
1: you yeah. um oh yeah and it's it's uh I, we had a, uh, I have a daughter um Oh and, uh,
0: sorry, so, you have a
1: daughter. No, no, no. I'd always wanted to have a daughter. Like that was one thing that was always clear to me. Like, I always wanted to have a child. And when we found out we were having a baby, it it did change kind of the way that I viewed things. But I don't like I understand kind of like the cliche of like, oh, I completely changed my perspective about things. Yeah, 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 all that. But I think the biggest thing that it did, it made me reflect on kind of like what the bigger picture is Mm. with regards to establishing systems that she can be able to benefit from. That it's not just about the end product. It's not just about the fact that like I am able to then produce something or I am able to write a show and make it. But how can I be able to help create those systems that will allow her to be able to thrive if she decides that she wants to get into this industry. Mm. And and, I, and, I, and I've started to believe that the only way to be able to create those systems is by equipping people with knowledge. Because if you equip people with knowledge, people understand that, oh, okay, for us to be able to produce a good quality piece of work, we need to have time, we need to have resources, we need to have A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And when you are able to do that, it then allows people to be able to create systems that facilitate such work processes. And for me, that has become such an obsession because I always tell people, people always ask me this question, like, what do you like? Do you miss being in the U.S.? And I'm like, the thing that I miss about being in the U.S. is the convenience, right?
0: That's That's, what my mom says. Right,
1: like... That's all, not anything else, yes, I do miss my friends, I do miss my family. I do miss like the people that I was really really like that I'm really, really close to to this day. But the biggest thing that I miss is the convenience of doing things. I know that if I want this, I can just make a call, I can just order on an app if I need to do a b c d if I need to access something, I know exactly where to go. I know exactly who to approach to be able to achieve a b c d so I think. For Zim, that's kind of like where my mind has shifted from just being like, hey, we need to produce something. Hey, I'm writing a play. I need people to be in it. Instead of that to like, hey, I want to, like I am thinking about uh, producing a bunch of short films. So I'm taking in five writers and over the next six months we're going to be working on short films that Mm. you all are going to then pair with uh, directors that will be working with somebody else and then we'll produce these short films. So it has helped widen my scope that it's not just about individual things, but how much more of an impact can you be able to make? How much can, uh, and, and I learned this, the biggest thing I'll be honest is I took to a heart, Issa already talked so much about uh, networking across the you
0: table. I took, yes. I
1: took that to heart because I realized that I had spent my life trying to reach up to people that really didn't want to reach down to me.
0: Yeah. And
1: I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach across the people around me, the people that nobody really cares about looking at. And the best thing, I do not want to lie to you, the best thing that I've gotten out of it has been, I've literally been able to, understand, to identify like a whole entire team of young people who I'm like, if we need a question design, oh, so-and-so is there. If we need a director, oh, that person is there. If we need a DOP, that person is there. If we were in theater, if we need a director. So that has been great because I've seen new skills just continuously grow within the industry. And it's, and, and, and it's so under the radar, but it is so much there. And it's, it's just been great. <laughs>
0: My friends, I hope you enjoyed part one, but before you go ahead and click play on part two, please, please, please go ahead, click that subscribe button, rate, review, and once you're done, meet me back for part two.